welcome to the Commercial Matters Podcast. Your show host is Amit Kapoor, owner of Mindful Contract Solutions. Nothing in this podcast is intended to be legal advice. Hi folks, welcome to another episode of the Commercial Matters Podcast. Today I'm very, very happy to have a guest. So for those of you who have been listening to us for a very long time, it's been a long monologue. So I'm very grateful for Richard Kerr to join us. Richard is a senior director in the expert services practice at Kroll. And I'm sure you talk a little bit about uh, what expert services involves, Richard, as I bring him on. But he's an expert independent advisor specializing in the rectification and avoidance of problematic technology, outsourcing, and change implementations. Richard and I met uh, very casually over LinkedIn a few weeks back, and we saw a lot of commonality between our profiles. I think what stood out was we both have the same kind of aspirations for client side teams in that we want to de-risk programs. And Richard comes at it from an expert services angle and I come to it from a change management and a contracts management angle. So Richard, welcome to our podcast. Great to have you here. Thank you, Amit. Pleasure to be here. No, that's great. I was wondering, Richard, if it might be best that you just give us your kind of backstory. I mean, what do you do now and how did you get to at this point in your career? Well, what I do now is work around advising organizations um, about their projects, about their programs, uh, particularly around technology and IT outsourcing and business change programs, but also do expert witness work. And expert witness is a defined field where something is going through litigation and the expert witness's job is to evaluate the technical aspects uh, and to report back to the lawyers and to the court as to what they perceive the situation to be. And we predominantly clients can be across the board for enterprise clients for, for advisory work and lawyers and insurers for the expert and the advisory work. That's great. So um, I have actually worked in technology implementation programs for a long time. And typically, I have been fortunate that a lot of my programs haven't really, in fact, every program that I've been in hasn't gone to the stage of litigation, which might be one reason why I haven't come across an expert personally in my line of work. So if you don't mind just expanding a bit on what stage of the program do you typically get involved in? I'll give you a, a bit of um, context in terms of the backstory, Amit, and from mm-hmm. there, I think that will, that will help perhaps. So way back when uh, I read law, thereafter went into business and found myself very much around the, the business systems. And then around the millennium, I, I, was, I was doing programming and um, emerging technologies and set up an agency. So I was working on the supplier side at that point. And I noticed that um, technology and law, uh, where they intersected, was quite an interesting area and something which I perceived was going to be expanding quite a lot um, because of the nature of technological progress. And I joined at that point a company who specialised in contentious matters and uh, in particularly uh, provision of expert witness um, skills. And so where they would be called in was after things had started going wrong or they were actually going into litigation. And so the uh, the classic expert witness is called in by a lawyer primarily to court on a particular situation. However, the, the skills which an expert witness has uh, are also very relevant before litigation because it helps an enterprise or, or any client to understand where things really are from various different perspectives and where mm. the strengths and the weaknesses are of a, of a particular case. And really, in terms of the backstory, what, um, the work that I did around that time brought me into contact with many, many, many different instances of project failure and, and, and issues occurring. And what was interesting was it was very often the same causal factors hmm. which occurred. And so at that point, it was worth um, really analyzing those to see whether or not there could be methodologies created which would systematically remove these 
causal failure factors. Um, and so that, that began an evolution of, um, of, of process, approach, methodology, etc., which sought to um, identify the causal factors at each particular stage of the life cycle of the project or program and explain what the early warning signs would be, how to mitigate that and how to preempt it and, and navigate those, those particular elements. And so with that in mind, the expert services skills people can provide are, are, are applicable to all stages of the life cycle insofar as problems can arise from the very, very first envisioning of a program or project in terms of what outcomes are we seeking to achieve or people not aligned really on, on what things are going or not having a robust business case or what have you, all the way through to post-contract if things aren't going quite according to plan, you know, how can we get this remediated? How can we get it recovered? All the way through to, okay, this is lurching towards dispute. How do we resolve the dispute or preempt the dispute? Or if it then goes further than that, through escalation and mediation, how can we win a mediation? It, it can't be resolved in mediation, it goes to litigation. Then what do we need to know? What process and approach do we need to follow for litigation? Do we look like we have a strong case in this matter? And so to a certain extent, the, the good expert in, in, in my experience, is, is one who would have experience of the entirety of the life cycle and be able to apply the lens at the correct uh, and appropriate point. No, that's absolutely great explanation. Thanks for that. It does prompt a few questions. Uh, the first one in my mind was, I do recall a lot of programs that I have worked in that have kind of gone off direction for a while. And in most cases, the program leadership has thought about drafting and management consultancies at that time, just to kind of do some kind of a health check, assess what the problems are, what the root causes are. I think it'd be great to understand what should a program leadership be thinking of when deciding whether to appoint a consultancy as against an expert services, uh, the, an expert advisor like you are. I'd say really it's, it's about any client to be very, very clear on, on what outcomes they're seeking to achieve. Hmm. Um, and what insights they're, they're, they're in need of. The the best role, I believe, that the, the expert can provide is to maintain that independence. And so with a real mission to try and get the clarity, uh, to get maximum clarity for the for the client so they really understand what the situation is. And for that to happen, my experience is that the, the best lenses to look through are multiple. And yep. it may well be that a management consultancy, a good management consultancy in the space, would be able to demonstrate skills and experience through each of the particular lenses. So by lenses, for instance, you can have a lens of delivery and governance. You know, how's the delivery going? What's the governance looking like? From that, you know, how are the relationships? How is reporting? You know, and all the all, all the other elements around that. Um, legal and commercial. Um, you know, it's very important always to understand what the legal and commercial position is around projects and programs, and to be able to baseline exactly where things are to interpret and understand what the contract truly means, and also how the contract terms and the schedules all come together. And around that as well, life cycle management and change, etc. Because very often the issues are around budget, budgetary controls, change controls, and commercial delivery. So delivery and governance, one lens. Legal and commercial, another lens. And then the solutions, the technologies, the platforms. And good industry practice around that and then finally if if people are looking at whether or not there's a claim then having the skills of quantum analysis um, having the forensic skills to be able to identify both systems and documentation is going to be uh, vitally important those are the mechanical aspects legal commercial delivery and governance and the technologies and platforms um, then there's the people factors which are which are all important really and understanding where those may or may not misalign and so for that it would be to do major lenses would be around the executives from from the parties who are involved, whether there's strategic alignment, whether there's uh, commercial alignment, and whether there's uh, adequate backing and sponsorship from from all sides on uh, on, on what's going on. Yeah. Uh, then through the delivery teams, are they empowered? Are they enabled? Do they have delegated authority? 
Uh, what's the culture looking like? Are things well crafted before, during, and after? Regardless, uh, within the context of whichever methodology for delivery is being is being done, for instance, mm. agile, hybrid, waterfall, and then finally, you know, to what extent has the business been engaged and the supply chain been engaged? And really, what I've found is very often if you're called into evaluate a situation it's perceived that the issue is over in one area such as technology but actually the issue might well be going all the way back to say procurement or to legal and commercial technology of course is an issue but the the technology itself isn't the issue it's the delivery aspects of it or something around data has been missed and so really the best possible consultant or advisor would be a somebody who would be coming in and giving a a very honest independent assessment um, so people will really understand where things are strengths weaknesses and best ways forward and as well to be able to bring together what are often very siloed different skill sets within an organization to give them all a common understanding of exactly where things are so people can make very wise decisions as to how best to, to proceed in any particular instance. That's great. In fact, I thought you touched upon the subject of independence there. So I just wanted to draw out a little more on that. As I understand, experts are funded by parties. Is that is that accurate, Richard? Yes. And how does independence then work in practice? For example, if I work on the buy side as a program team, and I wish to appoint an expert in support of a of an upcoming litigation, I would want that the expert side with my side of the story. How does that work in practice, though? Because an expert would have an independent view in those cases. Is that right? Yes. Um, so if we, if, again, let, let's take a look at the, at the life cycle. Um, if it is a litigation, then, then the expert witness is, is actually governed by some legislation, whereby they, right. they, really, they really have to be independent. And actually, if they're not independent, then there can be um, significant consequences for the expert. So David Barry, one of the one, uh, a very well-known expert witness in construction, he said the very best reports would be ones that could be written for either side, basically. Uh, right. it, it's got that level of even-handedness mm. about it. But it, it's very, but it's a very, very good point and, and something which the expert needs to keep challenging themselves as to is this uh, as to independence as to whether or not there's coming down on one side or ignoring uh, information so so the requirement to be independent at a litigation is is essential and and something for any expert witness to be very very mindful of indeed when it comes to the pre-litigation i would say really it depends um you know some some people like to instruct a hired gun for instance whereupon of course there's no independence whatsoever, personally. Uh, but I, I perceive that that you know that that has limitations in it. Uh, it can be effective yeah. if if that's exactly what's needed. But very often that will not be the. If you're looking to recover or remediate a, a somewhat broken situation, a hired mm-hmm. gun generally isn't isn't the best sure. uh, isn't the best solution. Whereas if you do find somebody who's able to maintain independence there and see and see both sides of the story. Then I, in my experience, again, that's the best way really to be able to reach a good negotiated outcome, particularly around remediation and recovery, whereby all parties are refocused um, to ensure delivery and to come back together again. And really the best, I, I found that the independence in that particular instance is very, very important. And as well, from a trusted advisor perspective, I perceive the person that, that, that one is instructed by is often more appreciative if they are told bad news, even if it might be bad, mm. on, on, bad on the ears. But just to know if there are significant things to be concerned about or, or, or whatever to know that very early on so that uh, approaches and decisions can be adjusted accordingly. That's great. Um, one of the things that I'm intrigued 
about is the kind of techniques you bring to the table to kind of come to the bottom of the issues. Because yeah. one of the things I have noticed, especially in technology disputes, is that both sides have a competing version of events that if you listen to in isolation, they, they, they do kind of stack up because uh, so usually a buyer would kind of go about, you know, supplier not having the capability, not onboarding in time. And the supplier would have an equally strong narrative around, you know, things were not done as prerequisites before we could start our work and so on. So what are some of the things that you bring to the table as in your techniques to kind of get to the bottom of what really caused the issues? There's a, an old proverb you remind me of, which says the first estate's case seems right until another comes and cross-examines him. And really that's the case uh, that we see so much in, in technology disputes, that a, a case could be put forward that seems very, very compelling. And really, how do we actually establish whether that is the truth or otherwise? The two instances that you gave in your question around, for instance, the buyer alleging supplier capability uh, and onboarding, and the provider alleging that prerequisites weren't undertaken, those both point towards um, a project plan and the establishment of the critical path and understanding whether these things truly were prerequisites, uh, whether they've been identified as prerequisites, and whether evidence exists to um, to establish and prove that there had been a failing in either of these perspectives. Um, when it comes to project plans, uh, the, the delay team at uh, Kroll are very uh, adept at understanding critical path and the delay calculations coming from establishing the correct critical path. And so that, that would be quite an, a, an important element to be establishing in, in that type of scenario. But for a critical path to be established, it does actually require a very well-defined project plan. And for the project plan to be well-defined, it's important that everybody understands what the solution is. Um, for the solution to be well-defined, it's important for everybody to understand what the requirement is. And so things often feed back all the way to the original envision envisioning of the project, uh, the procurement of the project, the, uh, the transacting with the provider. Um, and if done well, that will actually provide everybody with the correct platform by which they can define the project and the program uh, with good clarity, understanding each other's resourcing, understanding constraints, uh, understanding what documentation currently exists which will help the project and what gaps there are that will need to be filled before the project can really gain momentum and start to become implemented. So a lot of it will boil down always to what evidence actually exists. Very often we're called in and the evidence is merely anecdotal um, because a, 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 in a litigation, anecdotal information is, is less important. It's all, always really down to documentary evidence um, that, that people seek to rely upon and build their, their cases upon. However, in a live scenario, then very often it is anecdotal information as to who said what to whom and when. Uh, there may not be any supporting data or evidence. And so in those particular instances, the technique would be to establish, you know, what sort of evidence does exist, how are the parties interoperating, what's the position from a technical perspective, what's the position from the project and program perspective, and the commercial perspective, and the relationship perspective. And by getting insights into each of these particular factors, uh, we can start to identify root causes and to be able to advise and to assess as to whether or not there is clearly uh, a fault, perhaps a breach, on one side much more so than the other and equally it's more effective sometimes to establish where the weak points are in terms of how the project is getting rolled out and how those things can be strengthened in order 
to um, to achieve a much better outcome and really to dispel the unhelpful conversations which can lead to finger pointing, uh, positional plays and an increased division between the parties because that very often is what thereafter leads to disputes. Um, and these things can be resolved if they're caught early. Very often if an independent perspective comes in to evaluate the situation and who is who would be trusted by both parties um, in terms of what their evaluation and assessment of the situation might be and how the situation might be improved. Um, and ideally, um, with a suite of, of steps and actions as to how to get the thing remediated, which, um, which all the parties agree is, is a wise course of action, um, and, uh, and they follow it accordingly. Um, very often it's those sort of insights, those sort of techniques, which add the greatest value, um, particularly in technology disputes, um, because they can cost millions of pounds in terms of delay or lost benefits um, when they're not delivered well. And I guess the absolute fundamental um, point to make in summary is to set things up for success from the outset, to give the parties the very best opportunity to define together how this thing will get implemented, what it is, what the solution looks like, the technological components of it, um, what types of specification must exist, how many parties there are involved in the delivery, are there effective contracts and um, commercial arrangements and good governance between each, um, and is everything understood and known from the outset by way of what is the requirement and how will the solution fulfil that requirement and how will success be proven um, and how much will it cost and in what way might we make those payments in a way which will incentivize performance. Um, having good governance around each of those particular aspects is, um, is, is very, very effective in keeping the parties aligned and together um, and removing the risk or certainly massively reducing the risk of the parties um, coming to a bit of a halt and pointing fingers at each other as to non-performance and not stepping up. Uh, I guess the final technique really would be to try to establish with your client at the very outset that they are prepared if um, it transpires that things could be improved from their side of things, um, that they are prepared to alter things uh, and to improve how they're going about their side of things. Um, because very often it's very important to establish whether or not that is something which they're comfortable to agree at the outset um, in order to ensure that the exercise is, is, is very high value for everybody who's involved. One of the things I was wondering, Richard, is, um, you know, where you get involved pre-litigation, are you able to predict the outcome of the litigation, especially where a party has a very strong view about the case and you've come inside, you've looked at it and you think it's not, not so strong and eventually they, you've been kind of vindicated at trial? Uh, yes, you. I, I would say, so the question is, can we tr predict the outcome of the litigation? Mm, that's um, right. I would say it would be dangerous to predict the outcome of the litigation insofar as um, very often it could be a contractual um, discussion and a legal discussion which will which will influence the outcome. But what we certainly can do is to give very, very clear analysis of, of, of whether, whether or not we feel the case is strong, the evidence is strong, and where the weaknesses might, might sit. Equally, if we really think it's a very poor idea to go to litigation then we can uh, we, we can express why, why we perceive that is is the right thing to do but you mentioned pre-litigation um and again i would say 
if there is any hope at all for it, if the project and programme is still running and someone's just, just saying, just wanting to call somebody in to say, look, how are we looking? What should we do? Then at that yeah. point, very often, the very, very best advice would be to help the client to understand what the litigation, escalation and litigation process looks like, what it will involve, timescales, potential costs, and and impact on uh, the business uh, uh, and, and on people personally. And then to just see whether or not there's any opportunity at all whereby the thing could somehow be remediated and recovered. Very often at that point, uh, Amit, you, you're, you're in a slightly different situation because you can absolutely say, look, we've seen many of these, we've applied this particular process, and it has resulted in things getting turned around and the project getting recovered and getting delivered. And if it doesn't get recovered and delivered, then the, uh, the manner in which we've gone about things will mean that the evidence is such that it's very clear why it can't be delivered. And very often that can preempt litigation in and of itself, because both parties at that point, you've removed the fuzziness and the mm. vagueness of the areas of, of, of such dispute. And it's a much clearer picture whereby people can understand that if, if exit is, is essential, then how to exit seamlessly and avoiding the, the, the litigation process uh, by reaching a, 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 an amicable commercial settlement, ideally. No, that's uh, that that's great. In fact, I, it's, it's a very nice segue to the next thing I wanted to ask you, which was about what are some good practices that businesses can employ in their IT programs to actually minimize the risk of getting into litigation or to enhance chances of recovering losses? Uh, so is there any more that come to mind, Richard, that programs should be doing to avoid problems in the first place? Well, very often you'll, very often the, uh, I'm sure you'll see, you'll have heard of the term watermelon reporting. And uh, mm. that's it's so essentially. Uh, very often, we'll, we'll we'll review a situation, and all of the project reports and program reports will be showing green, and so it goes green, 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 and then suddenly everything turns red uh, one month. And um, and essentially, why does that happen? And and so essentially, the, the reason why that happens is because for one reason or another, people are not feeling able to actually articulate and express truly what's going on uh, on the ground. So. I think in, in uh, one one element is culture, to allow people to not try to hide bad news or if things aren't going quite according to plan, there'd be a real openness and transparency to be able to have that uh, have that level of, of of discussion. In terms of litigation, etc., that that always comes down to the evidence. You know, the expert witness yeah. will be uh, and the lawyers will be sifting through evidence, and and very often, you know, communication is quite poor. Um, it would just be discussions, maybe verbal, et cetera, et cetera. And if you're looking at something after the event several years down the line, then all of those verbal uh, conversations just fall away. And literally, it just does come down very often to email exchanges, other documentation, et cetera, to be able to unearth the truth of a particular situation. There was one matter I was involved in a few years ago, which was a, a, a talent agency, and they took a anti-tech kind of, uh, they didn't like to communicate via technology. The, yeah. the, the MD said, Look, we, we, we want to have everything face-to-face and there's very, very, very little documentation, very, very little evidence. And no matter how strong their case was, and it was quite a strong case, the fact that there wasn't any evidence whereby they're escalating things in the right way was, was a weakness in their, in, in their situation. So there's always a, a balance, I would suggest, of mm. very good relationship management, uh, very good conversation and communication, whilst at the same time uh, just ensuring that there's just an ongoing clarity in terms of um, documents as to exactly what is going on, whereby if somebody needs to take a look at things later on, they'll be able to piece it together very, very easily and, and, and very quickly. 
Um, and similarly, if correspondence comes through to you during the course of a project that you simply don't agree with, or you perceive that it might be coming from a positional perspective, then to back that back straight away and to and and and, and to reject it. And uh, and similarly, if um, if deliverables are coming through and they're not of very good quality, yeah, mm. don't be afraid. Don't be afraid to reject them and and to explain why you need to reject them and and how uh, rectify quite quickly, etc. Just to keep it. Uh, just to keep it on on right balance. Now I, I am aware that's a careful balancing act to maintain yeah. a very a very good relationship. But I find if 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 the parties have kind of set the terms of reference and the parameters at the outset, then uh, these behaviours are not necessarily seen as being aggressive. They're just being seen as just astute um, mm. supplier uh, relationship management. That's not to say somebody should just be sitting on the contract at all times, just throwing breach notices. Sure, absolutely. Because yeah. <laughs> that's very unhelpful for a, for, a, for, a, for, a, for a situation. No, no, that's great, Richard. And I think on a, the final question I had for you, and I, I think it just occurred to me that amongst all program practitioners, you probably are the one who actually holds the hand of the party right to the very end of the trial because you're with them in, in that dispute. And um, so... Is there, is there something you notice when parties kind of go through that whole process of litigation and come out of it and say, oh, next time we won't do that? Is there any kind of lessons that they learn, you know, resonate with you and that's quite common across different parties that have gone through the process? I think if things have gone through through litigation, they'll, they'll, have, learned, they'll have learned a lot about the legal due process, about how about how much they've had to do, and and mm. that will be the freshest things in their mind. Also, if they were witness, if they were witness statements, they may well have been cross-examined, and they'll have all of these uh, aspects to them. I think mm. bearing in mind is probably I don't know the exact figure, but my understanding is there's only five percent, perhaps two percent, would ever go to court. You know, sure. the things which are being escalated. Um, so I would say there's, there are, of course, lessons to be learned in in those perspectives, and and but really the the time. When I perceive lessons are best learned, are just at the time when things are uh, are going messy uh, or are the project is in distress, is to do a, a very thorough evaluation at that point of exactly what the causal factors are and how those might be altered uh, in the future. And very often, you know, a lessons learned can be an incredibly effective means as long mm-hmm. as that then translates into a very effective strategy later on. I do find the very best clients actually are those who have been through a a failed implementation or a, mm. a, a very troubled um, uh, scenario, and they simply don't want that to happen again because they're aware of the pain on so many parts that that causes. And so, there, um, if we can if we can get in early to say, look, here are all the reasons why these things fail, and here's here's how to go about things whereby you're systematically removing those causes of failure. Equally. Now, globally, here's all the way the good things whereby projects and programs succeed. So let's try and intersperse as much of that as we can. Then at that yeah. point, you know, you've got a very robust strategy for, for each particular phase in, uh, of the project and the program, um, which which does uh, is is proven to have massively increased success rates for people. Uh, when they when they adopt these strategies that's really great richard i'm sure this has been very insightful for our audience it certainly has been for me so many thanks for taking time to do this and just before we go i mean if people want to find out more about what you do and get in touch what is the best way they could reach out to you 
Yes, well, as you said earlier, I work at Kroll and with Kroll, but LinkedIn probably is 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 the best way to uh, personal contact. Uh, so you know, Richard Kerr, that's probably that's probably the best route these days without um, without giving to without bothering people with emails and, and phone numbers. Sure. And, uh, but yeah, within Kroll, part of the expert services team cover multiple different disciplines. Um, construction, forensic accounting, technology, outsourcing, cyber, information management, governance, and and data analytics. So yes, we, it's, a, it's a very a very wide offering from within Kroll generally. So if people that wanted to just investigate that too, they're very very welcome to. That's great. Thanks again, Richard. Thanks so much. It's been a pleasure, Amit. Thank you. That's this week's episode of the Commercial Matters podcast. Don't forget to join us next week for another episode. Thank you for listening.